I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Again, everybody, and thanks for joining us for another Motorsport Magazine podcast on a beautiful day in London as we gather in the Motorsport headquarters by the River Thames. And of course, we're going to review the Grand Prix season and what a season it was. Around the table, we have a glittering array of talent. Possibly this amount of talent has never been gathered in one place at one time before, I may suggest. Hundreds of years of experience around this table. Not since the last time we did this, you mean. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nigel. And somebody... Ah, here comes Ed Foster, our website editor. Anyway, on with the show. In no particular order, we have with us today Mark Hughes, Nigel Roebuck, Simon Aaron, and of course, our editor, Damien Smith. And I think we start, obviously, we have to start with the dominance of Mercedes-Benz extraordinary season which I guess um, Mark really began last winter didn't it or even before even before they had a single cylinder prototype running uh, midway through 2010 um, which were the uh, good year and a half ahead of everyone on the engine program alone yeah um, so that uh, followed on from that to have um, a big, big engine advantage, uh, something in the region of 70 horsepower, and the um, the way it was laid out, the chassis team were able to take advantage of it in a fairly unique way. When uh, when Nicky convinced Hamilton to to join the team, I wonder how much he could tell Lewis at that stage about what um, what they had up their sleeve. Yeah, he says he got the full rundown from Braun. He said although Nicky was um, came along at the right time. To swing it, he said, he's the the big thing that really convinced him was the the rundown of what they were doing from Ross Braun. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure Ross will have um, filled them in exactly what they were doing and why he thought they were going to have an advantage. And he's the sort of guy you believe when he, he talks. So yeah, Absolutely. it's interesting actually. Now Lewis is sort of appearing to stress that no, 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 it wasn't Nicky. Mm. It was Ross. I mean, he was he was on about it the weekend, wasn't he? About Ross coming to his mother's house. To persuade him, so it was very easy to forget Ross last weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, as Mark's written in his season review, which is on sale now, um, uh, you know, Ross, this is a fourth 
different team for Ross to be a champion. It's his, it's his championship as much as anyone's. Absolutely, it? it is. Yeah, I mean, he pulled together the whole structure of the thing. Um, him and Andy Cowell at um, Mercedes HPP, they pulled everything together and integrated in a, a unique way, in a way that even Ferrari, who's got everything on the same site, didn't manage to do. And they were very aware of what they were doing and what they were trying to do. And uh, yeah, I, I absolutely, this the, you, you couldn't say that this wasn't. Uh, a proper Ross championship because it, all the foundations were laid for the season before. And you had the benefit of wandering off to go fishing and watching the rest of them sort out the uh, the driver politics. It's a perfect <laughs> position to yeah, be in, I thought. Uh, actually, that's something I must say. I, I've wondered several times through the year if Ross had still been there, how differently would this have been handled? Particularly Spa, which I thought was farcical. But I think, I think Ross had been there, that would have been... Uh, quite a different scenario. And that, actually that brings us on to our, we're going to, uh, three of our readers have, have got questions on each of these topics, by the way, and John McGregor wants to know, or surmises, how bad would it have been the 2014 season if Mercedes had implemented team orders and not, you know, not let Nico and, and, and Lewis race? Yeah, it would have been like 92, something like that. It would have been one guy in one car winning everything. It would have been dreadful. So, yeah, kudos. Instead, we got 88, didn't we? Basically. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, um, Jonathan Abbott wants to know that, uh, well, he doesn't want to know. He says that in years to come, with the benefit of hindsight, people may look back on this season and say it was inevitable that Hamilton would beat Rosberg to the title. Um, Nigel, I wondered, you know, did we all think it was inevitable that he'd, he'd get the upper hand in the end, do you think? I, I didn't think it was inevitable, no. Um, simply because I, I, I could see them coming at it different ways, but I, I, you know, it, it, it did very much remind me of a of, of, of sort of Senna Prost situation with, uh, because you know, Nico is so, is so bright and, and spends a lot of his time thinking you know, about how do I improve, how do I... I mean, on terms of speed, you know, obviously Nico was going to have the, the upper hand. Although he did qualify, out-qualify Hamilton many times, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And it, that's the most impressive facet of his season because, um, and the way he did it as well, typically you'd see him through the weekend looking as though he was two or three tenths behind and all he was doing was working away, working away at perfection, chipping away, and then he would just produce the lap. He put all the bits together that he'd been building through the weekend uh, at, the, at the crucial time, uh, whereas Lewis would get a balance he more or less could live with and then just drive it. And um, yeah, in, in the, the perfection of one lap, the, the getting a car perfect for one lap, um, Nico's been brilliant, he's, he's not only been fantastic at getting the setup right, but then just unleashing everything and delivering on that one lap. It's when you get the more improvisational skills needed during a race, so as the fuel load comes down, as the tyres wear, as the track temperature changes, that's when we've seen typically Lewis hold the, the, the speed advantage over Nico. It's interesting that, isn't it? Um, <coughs> I was say the other thing that impressed me about Nico, apart from the, the pole thing, was that performance in Canada, which I thought was way better than any of his victories. I thought yeah, that was absolutely, just sen that was sensational the way he managed the car in 160 brake horsepower down and was yeah. still driving it as, you know. It's quite interesting that without the 160 horsepower, he was doing a similar lap times to a McLaren with the electric. Yes, 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 he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite depressing if you're a McLaren, I'd say. Paddy, Paddy Lowe said to me after that race, if Nico does win the championship in the end, he'll deserve it just on the basis of this 
of this race. And not only was he setting fastest sector times in the, the first sector, but he was consistently very, very fast at the DRS detection points so that the other guy, I think it was a Force India behind him at the time, was um, couldn't get DRS on him. So all he had to do every lap was make sure he was out of DRS reach, and he did that every single time. Um, Ian Bannister says that uh, Alonso and Vettel, like their number two drivers, kept on a tight leash. I think we've certainly seen evidence of that. So he, he asks, um, does, does Lewis Hamilton deserve some extra kudos for not demanding that he has a subjugated number two driver and that he, he gets all the best kit and all the, you know... I'm struggling to understand the comparison with Alonso and Vettel since Alonso consummately had the better of his teammate and Vettel was constantly No, 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 but I think, I think what he's saying is that they, they're number twos, they are categorically number one. Well, I, I don't think Alonso, I don't think Kimi was a sort of, you know, poor little, you know, hampered number two who wasn't allowed to challenge Fernando, do you? Does I anybody? I no. don't, but I'm I mean, not... I mean, if, 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 that was, if that was the case, if that was the case, he did it extremely convincingly. Quite. By, <laughs> by not being in the same vicinity. Yeah, that was very good. He, he, did, he disguised that well. But no, I take the point. But Alonso done it on pure performance alone. He's, he, he wouldn't have needed any contractual help. But um, I take the point. And it's certainly one of the things that um, we hear Fernando was demanding in his negotiations with Ferrari to continue was um, veto over the, the second driver, uh, choice of technical personnel, things like that. Um, so yeah, he, he, does, he does prefer it to be all around him and um, when it wasn't at McLaren we, there was a certain fallout um, and even the, the, the rare occasions when Fisichella got in front of him at Renault. Uh, he was, he was um, yeah, not <laughs> on the radio. Yeah, but um, as for kudos for for not doing that, that's it's it's just a different way of doing it. Um, yeah, it's not it's not something that Lewis isn't made up that way. He's not uh, somebody that uh, has that hard edge off the track. I don't think that that um, some of the greats have had. Um, and he just his default is just how fast he believes himself to be. Yeah, yeah. Lewis uh, isn't that way, and I don't think the team is built up that way, is it either? No, really it's not. With the management it's got, so no, it's not. It's true. But actually, Rob Smedley made a good point when I was when I was talking to him towards the end of the year about their situation, his and Massa's at Ferrari with with Fernando, and I and I asked him if he'd resented that, and he said absolutely not, because he said all the power Fernando had he earned, um, and he said. And if you don't produce week after week after week after week, if you stop producing, your power's gone. You get, very forgotten, get forgotten very quickly. So he said, you can say about Michael, you can say about Ayrton, that, that status they have, that power they have within a team is something that just comes naturally with their, uh, you know, the strength of their power. Yeah, they choose to use it, but you have to be good enough to yeah, be able to, that's to, otherwise to, you that just to carry that power. To, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think we saw this year with a string of mostly fifth and sixth places with Fernando. I mean, that was in a route master bus, effectively. I mean, it was just, it was just, he, it was a, just a fabulous. I mean, it doesn't show in the results, but he again was one of the year's star performers to me. I think it was the most depressing sight of the season was Alonso trying to pass Will Stevens in a caterham. <laughs> I was just and asking and who it was. Asking who it was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just a, 
<laughs> bit like David Purley saying, who's the bloke in the red car behind me? Um, <laughs> the other way around. After the, after the race at Silverstone, uh, we are in the Alonso conference, and someone said, you know, was this the best, sixth the best you could have done today? He said, if it started last on the grid, I could have finished sixth. If it started on pole, I could have finished sixth. Yes. That's, and that, that was pretty much, you know, that's where it was. Okay. Um, let's move on because there's so much to talk about. Um, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we, we have to have a look at the financial crisis, for want of a better phrase, that's going, that's happening in Grand Prix racing at the moment. Um, Mark, how did we get to this point? Um, we give the rights away to Bernie for 100 years and he sold them on um, to a um, private equity company who continue to just rape the sport, which is what's happening now. Take all the money? Take um, a, a big chunk of the money. Um, and also what happened, another major part of it was how big the big teams became in the boom years, quadrupled in size. And they're now too big for the for the, for the economy and they still need to be fed as if there were big teams in boom time economics so that money is that is not being taken out of the sport is being given to them um, to keep them at that at that level at that size and the smaller teams uh, can you know, go sink I suppose the thing is that what really matters is the future not the past so I mean what what briefly is the answer to this? Is it three car teams? Is it the big teams sharing out the money more equitably? I mean, what? Where are we going from here? The short-term solution should be the big teams yeah. sharing out yeah. more equitably. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think we're going to get three car teams either. The way it's at, is at the moment, although if another team, two teams disappear, well, maybe I'll have to see. Yeah. You know, third Ferrari, third Red Bull, third Mercedes. Um, but there is no... It seems to me, don't know about you, Nigel, but there doesn't seem to be a plan, a long-term plan that they're working towards to correct this crisis. Well, it seems to me it's going to no, be... There's absolutely no evidence, no. is there? It seems to me it's going to be corrected by, um, by a crisis, by a, a serious crisis and fall down and having to rebuild. It is utterly, which, however you dress it up, I'm, I don't know the precise figure for F1's annual income from trackside advertising, race hosting fees, TV deals and so on, but I think it's about 1.7, 1.8 billion, billion dollars. And if that kind of income can't sustain 11 racing teams, it's kind of preposterous, isn't it? It sure is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ab absolutely it is. I mean, I, you know, I entirely agree with Mark that, that, that you know, the big teams should give up a little and, and they won't I can, you know he's right there I can't see that happening but I also think you know somebody should fleece CVC a little as well because I mean they've just been on such a a role for, for years and years and years just the rape is the right word as, as Mark said the thing is the, there's, just, just, there's just no incentive because we know Formula 1 is not a utopian society um, we know from the failure of the the predictable failure of the Formula One Teams Association. You know, the teams are completely competitive entities <coughs> out for their own ends without caring about any sort of bigger picture. Um, and CVC, well, they're not going to be around for much longer, are they? They're going to take uh, what they can from the sport and then they're going to go. Um, so they're not about to restructure the, the finances of the sport. There's no one out there to do it. So the only way it can go is for it to collapse, which it, it the way things are going, that it might take some time, but... Um, Surely, eventually, it's going to. 
Well, another depressing thing is that if, as and when CVC do go, you can see it falling into a bunch, you know, it'll be another bunch of asset strippers who move in afterwards. But, I mean, I think, to me, the only hope is there, there are a couple of things on the horizon. One, the fact that the EU is reportedly investigating, you know, the, the, the ins and outs of Formula One, which probably was inevitable sooner or later. What was the other thing? No, let me think. What was the other thing? We'll come back to it. We Nigel. will come back to it. Yeah, it'll, it'll occur to Instead, me. Instead, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, put a point that Terry Salmon uh, sends us, which is that uh, sooner or later, Bernie's going to be gone, obviously. Um, just briefly round the table, who would we recommend as a replacement, if anybody? Um, I was asked this question by Damien um, just about... Ten minutes before we came in, oh, good. and I, I, I came in. I came up with um, the name of Zach Brown. Yeah, United uh, Auto Sportsman. Yeah, yeah, but um, racing background, financial background. Uh, somebody that understands the sport, somebody that loves the sport, but is also a great businessman. I I interviewed Zach a couple of years ago for the magazine, and we talked about the whole situation. And you know, he's put himself in the frame as a, as a, as someone who could be a potential. Um, Bernie Eccleston type character, although he made the point that he's still a relatively young man, he's got plenty of time on his on his side, and um, you know who really wants to be the next Bernie Eccleston? It's the the David Moyes scenario <laughs> um, that you don't really want to follow the big man um, or the, the big little man in our case. Um, you want to be the guy after David Moyes coming in, and um, you know I, I don't know whether Zach's going to be the next guy, but he he is the right kind of character, and there's not many obvious people out there who have the, the business background, the financial success and the sporting understanding and it needs to be someone with a sporting understanding and understanding of Grand Prix racing and motor racing as a whole to do this job. You can't just have a Philip Green type character come in. Um, that's not going to work. I agree, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, I'm, I can't really see many people who have Zach's kind of cocktail of you know, understanding the sport and the commerce but... Um, I mean, maybe there's somebody out there we don't know, but I, I can't think of one. No, I'd agree with that too. Zach, Zach's the only name who you know this? comes to my mind. Well, you know, who, sure. who, think of, think of, you know, Zach Brown, if you're listening. But, you know, for those who don't <laughs> know, Harry, offer me another name. Most of the sponsorship deals in Formula One have Zach's hand on them somewhere down the line. You know, most of the big ones, anyway. You know, uh, not all of them, but uh, an awful lot of them. So he's a he's a very successful guy, and in, 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 right. There, there may be other people we. But I must admit, I'm starting to struggle to come up with an obvious name. Um, Robin Robin uh, sends a question in and says, do we really think Caterham will be back next year? And how realistic is it for the Haas Formula One team from America to progress and come in in 2016? Um, do we think, what do we think about that, guys? Mark? Caterham won, the odds are stacked against it. Uh, it's... Um, the, the, the levels of finances needed to get the thing up and running and off the ground, uh, which effectively are you're starting from scratch again. Um, just enormous. And to do that in such a short period of time, and a team that's been associated with failure, in effect, has gone in. I, I, I don't know. Um, a rich man's hobby, if anything, I guess. Yeah. As for Haas, I think. Uh, by the time he comes in, we may be looking at customer cars, in which case, yes, I could see that. Um, but he's, I, if we're not, he's up against the exact same struggle as Caterham and Marussia. 
what what must he be thinking? We should, we should track it down actually and find out because why would you want to do it at the stage we're at the, at the moment? I mean, the catering business, um, you know, great solid facilities in terms of um, the hardware they've got, but there's no business proposition. Why would you buy that team? You you it basically it's what hap- has happened in the past. It it will take a very rich egomaniac who who just wants to go wants to be involved with Formula One, um, and he'll you know someone will come in for a couple of years, it will fail. And they'll disappear, and someone else will come in. You know, yeah, that's that's the scenario we're looking at. You, any any serious businessman, surely they wouldn't look twice at this business. I think you just have to look at the fact that the three teams that came in in 20, 2010, the start of twenty ten, have now all effectively gone. HRT at the end of twenty twelve, and Marussia and Caterham this year. It's that tells you very 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 plainly how, just how difficult it is. And I think they would all say, all three of them, you know, that they came into F one on false pretenses. You know, oh, there is, yes, absolutely, yes, absolutely. They, they were told there was going to be a cost cap. They were getting at cheapo engines from Cosworth. And on that basis, they, they said, all right, let's give it a go. If they'd known, you know, how the future was going to turn out, they wouldn't have countenanced it. Uh, and as far as House is concerned, if, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating one because, you know, House is much richer than Bernie. Mm. So if he should choose to, you know, spend his own money and whatever, it, it would last quite a long time. He, he might not be much richer than Bernie if he sets up a Formula One team, though. He might, he might very quickly be less rich than Bernie. Good. Well, we look, f- I look, we look forward to talking to Mr. Haas. Great. I'm, you know, I, I, something I was... Like, a remark of Briatore's year ago, years ago that's always stuck in my mind. We went to Aida, I think, twice, did we? Yeah. Um, and it was Mr. Tanaka who owned Aida in the middle of nowhere. In Japan, I mean, the Japanese didn't know where it was. It wasn't even considered a big enough circuit to use for Japanese 3000. But the money was right. Mr. Tanaka, you know, paid up. But then we were there the second year, I remember, and I was talking to Flavio, and he just said, he said, well, you know, this is it. we won't be back here again. And I said, oh, really? He was that sure? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, how so? He said, ah, Mr. Tanaka, very rich man. Then he meet Bernie, and I'm also rich. <laughs> Yes, good. I like it. Let's move on. Let's move on to Ferrari. Lots to talk about here. Um, wow, what the hell's going on at Ferrari? I mean, Alonso's leaving, Vettel's coming, Mattiacci's gone now, replaced by Maurizio Arriva Bene. How long he'll be Arriva Bene for, I don't know. Anyway, um, Montezamolo's gone, Domenicali's gone. It's all change. And, um, you know, where's it gone so wrong, Mark? Uh, went wrong a long time ago, and it's finally collapsed. <laughs> um, it went wrong when um, they didn't, the management there didn't do anything about properly replacing Ross Braun and John Todd, and just uh, try to run it with Luca Zemelo having a overview and just sticking his man in. Um, but that man wasn't empowered to direct the team in the way uh, Ross and John had. And it's been on a competitive decline ever since. I mean, it's 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 remained respectable for a long time because a great team, great facilities, have had great drivers and all those things. But the the momentum has just gradually died. And at the same time, we've had you know Adrian joining Red Bull and all those things, and so it's, they've not kept up. Simple as that. How do you and Nigel um, compare it to, say, you know, ninety two, ninety three Ferrari era, or even seventy three? 
Ferrari when, when they were at the, in the similar. Times. similar, certainly very similar to the 92, 93 um, era, you know, when they, the faceless figures of Fiat, and before that, I mean, it was they who got rid of Prost, you know, for daring to criticise his car. So um, it's, it's not dissimilar. But I mean, I think this year this must be some kind of high watermark, don't you think? In terms of number of firings, high level oh. firings. <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking what um, you can't get away from the thought that something happened very suddenly with Mattiacci. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Apparently, the getting in pitch from the company, not just removed yeah. from the F1 team. Yeah, from what little I can gather from the Italian side of things, it's it perhaps relates to something. Uh, before he took over at uh, the race team. In, in, in the slipstream of all the troubles they've had this year, they've now um, got Vettel and Raikkonen, who are the two top-line drivers who least adapted least well to the, um, the current regulations. Is that going to help? <laughs> no, I, 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 and as I'm everybody's not. been saying, that, you know, the two top-liners who were blown away by their teammates this year. It's an interesting situation. I mean, personally, I, I, I've always been a bit of a, fa a fan of Ferrari. I suppose it's a romantic thing from being a childhood or something. I don't know. But, I mean, it, Grand Prix racing needs them, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it, Mark? Yeah, it, it's, it needs to be there. But <clears throat> it needs to be a proper vibrant force. And we, we don't want to see it, you know, back in the doldrums, like, you know, we're just making up the numbers with the red car somewhere in the middle of the field. It, it, it needs to be, to, to, to carry full value, it needs to be somewhere up the front contending. And um, yeah, the rebuild, I guess, is, is would, would have to start from here. Actually, okay, well, Mr. R. Ruby asks, um, whatever the strengths and weaknesses were of Domenicali, Mattiacci, whatever, um, can the company now create a new successful team? Can, well, can it be done? And if so, you know, how is it going to be done? Oddly enough, despite all the... the catastrophe going on around the outside of it and at the management level, they could just fluke into a good car next year because it's the first of the uh, James Allison cars. Um, and the engine this year, the power unit, uh, was deliberately configured to be um, small and heat have concentrate on heat rejection for the benefit of aerodynamics. That's turned out not to be the way to go. So there's a big chunk to be easily found there. So they may well have a perfectly respectable car next year and be much more competitive. Um, and you know, people might assign the wrong reasons to to that. But it, uh, yeah, I, I could see them having a better season next year, but not not because they've changed the management. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And maybe it'll be like Weber said, you know, about about Vettel going to Ferrari, but just his luck might go there and they hit a golden <laughs> period. <laughs> Four more world championships. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, because there's, there's no blown floor. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, Gareth Holt um, says, um, how much of a mess are they in? I think we've sort of covered that, really. But I, th I think the answer to, to the question, Gareth, is a big mess, actually. <laughs> um, um, I think the other thing to consider also is what's happening uh, at the top end of the company with the spin-off of shares. Um, and, and that, you know, where the future is for Ferrari um, at the moment, we don't know who the shareholders are going to be and how those shareholders will view Formula One, especially if the team isn't performing. And, and um, it's, the mo it's probably the most uncertain time the team's had since the mid-60s, I'd say. Yeah. Um, 
you know. So it's um, Vettel's coming in a, a fan, you know, a fascinating era. Well, I, 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 something I read yesterday, and I know not whether it's true, but um, I, I, just Tuesday morning at, at in Abu Dhabi, when Vettel made his first appearance in the Ferrari pit, the suggestion is he was stunned to learn about Mattiacci, and nobody had thought to tell him beforehand yeah was which is if that's the case i mean geez, that's a great start isn't it it's a similar situation earlier in the year when um andy cowell and um, adrian newey were both negotiating with domenicali and then all of a sudden domenicali was wasn't there and no one had told them and it was at that point they both said you know what i don't think so and that, you know, so that that had ca- carry on yeah. yeah okay let's move on to another great topic one of the one of the topics of the year, actually, I reckon, is Ricardo being faster almost always than than Vettel. Um, why is this? Is it because is it dare we suggest it's not it's because Vettel isn't as good as we thought, or it, or or is Ricardo really really a you know a great driver? What what are your feelings about this? I think Ricciardo is exceptionally good. I don't think there's no any question of that now. Um, we could see how fast he was before, but we didn't know yeah. um, how well he raced. But he, he, some of his overtaking moves this year have just yeah. been fantastic. Great that, to that, watch. That one he pulled on Alonso at Austin are just, just yeah. fantastic. The dummy around the outside yeah. and yeah. and the two at the top of the S's at Suzuka and the two Williams is just, just yeah. fabulous. So um, he's faster, not by much, but as you say, nearly always. And he makes his tyres last longer. So he's gone faster and making the tyres last longer. Um, when you watch them in action on the track, you can sort of see why he drives the car very much like Jensen's beautifully smooth, high momentum, just not upsetting the car at all, while Seb looks to still be trying to drive it like a blown diffuser car with a very aggressive turn in. Yeah. And before you could stop the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the bad consequences of yeah. that just by standing on the throttle. Yeah. Uh, which you can't now, the slide continues and you lose more time than you gained. But he's kind of in the habit of it. He's, he seems to be, and that's the surprising thing. It's not so much that um, he didn't immediately adapt to these new cars when he'd been so used to blown diffuser cars. That's not so surprising. It's the fact that someone had shown himself to be so adaptable before mm. didn't adapt. Mm. Mm. And I don't know. It, it's, that, it's to me, is the biggest puzzle of the season. But I don't think... We can. I don't really see that he was um, that it devalues what he d- he did in those cars. I think he was absolutely ace at getting the maximum out of those cars at the blown diffuser car. But uh, he, he was very special at that. Um, but any time when the regulations took that away and they, they did briefly and then it came back, he he, he looked ordinary then as well. And then quite frequently, Mark Webber used to have the edge on him then. But as soon as they got they got it back, then he would he'd be exceptionally fast again. Yeah, and in fact, before the season started, um, that was just something Mark quietly said to me, that he just, he said, I'm telling you, he doesn't like the car moving around very much. And uh, and he said, that's going to be the fascinating thing. He doesn't want my car, then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and that was why, and he he said, in terms of qualifying, he said it'll be 50-50 with him and, and Danny, and that really surprised me at the time. Um, but I think even Mark didn't reckon that Ricciardo would be so much better in the races too. I mean, he hardly made a mistake, Danny, uh, all year. I mean, practice accidents to Suzuka, but he barely made a mistake worth the name. And it was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Great, great thing of the season, I think. And he's such a, 
a good guy for the the public and the sport, and isn't he? You know, I mean, yeah, you want that 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 smiley effervescent front that he has. You wonder what that does to Seb as well, because even when he's had a terrible day, even when he's thrown out of second place at Melbourne, or the the wheel fell off of the pit stop at Malaysia, or he has the crash in Japan, he just hops out and he's still got a big grin on his face and you must, you must be thinking, well, how does that work then? I always, I, always, I always look at him and I think, whatever you're, you know, whatever you're on, mate, I want some. <laughs> yeah. The only thing he did all year long that concerned me was this experimentation with facial hair in Austin. Yeah, which yeah, I, I was very glad to see that dis dis yeah, dispensed with after I one week. I saw him arrive in the paddock with that and with the big Stetson on. Mm. And it, it did sort of look like 1972, 73. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that? No, it's not. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I think M Martin Tomlinson, um, we've answered Martin Tomlinson's question. <laughs> but anyway, because he wanted to know all the, the answers to all the things we've just been talking about. You know, has, has Vettel lost his mojo or is Ricardo brilliant? Well, that's basically the gist of Martin's question. So I hope we answered it for you, Martin. Um, Tom Power wants to says uh, now we've seen Ricardo thrash Vettel. How do we rank him? That's Ricardo against Fernando and Hamilton. He's right up there. I mean, uh, I've done a top ten in the magazine. They're, 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 they're the three drivers at the top. I won't tell you what order you have to buy the magazine, but um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd go along with that. I mean, for so many. Well, the last few years certainly we've talked about Lewis, Fernando, and uh, and and Sebastian as the three, um, you know, the MotoGP speak, the, the, the aliens. But I think you're right. I mean, in, in my head, now you're right. Ricardo has, has replaced Vettel in that third slot. I guess we're now wondering in the post-New Year at Red Bull whether he'll have the car to, uh, to take it to Mercedes. You know, that's the, the biggest question. It's no, there's no question over him. And or, the en and or the engine. Well, yeah. <laughs> Okay. That's actually how phenomenally good that, that car has been, isn't it? Yeah. With with that horsepower deficit, yeah, yeah. still the things it's managed to do this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. I mean, nothing else with the Mercedes engine. All right, I know Williams have threatened, vaguely threatened, um, Mercedes a couple of times, Austria and uh, on the other weekend. But the only car that actually has beaten them has won, has won races is, is a Red Bull. And you think it had whatever it is, 70, 80 horsepower? Yeah. No, they Mercedes. No, they they have their own GPS and they can yeah. follow the speeds around. Yeah. They they, yeah. they know how good that car is. Yeah, yeah. They they were very very worried that Renault would get attacked together. Yeah, absolutely. And Barcelona was the big litmus test. You know where the, all the problems had been fixed with the car and everybody was pretty nervous about that. And I tell you, as a long time Renault driver, I've always known Mercs are quicker. <laughs> it's very depressing. It's a it's a money thing apparently. You, you, anyway, you, you never had a GTA V6 Turbo, did you? Sorry. <laughs> um, who do we think? Mike Hamilton wants to know. Um, who do we think is the best of the new guard? Ricardo, Bottas, or Kvyat? At the moment, definitely Daniel. I mean, he's the full package now. The other two are still um, evolving. I think um, both great potential. Um, Kvyat's exciting to watch. He's, he's very. Uh, he, when, when he saw the um, his brake disc failure as he approached Redifilio, and he caught a 210 mile an hour slide, not once but twice, yeah. and then just continued to finish the lap just because it was the last lap without the brake disc. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty thrilling, actually. <laughs> was it? And he's awake, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, bit, it's a bit too soon to know with Kvyat, though, isn't it? Because we just haven't really seen. I mean, in the Toro Rosso, you. 
it, it kind of masks a lot of things, as, as with as Danny Ricciardo. Yeah. It's, uh, but the boy can drive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. But, but and certain boys, so can Bottas, too. I mean, yeah, you yeah, can no, see yeah, Bottas yeah. getting there, can't you? Absolutely He's, can. Always reminds me a little bit of Mika Hakkinen. He does me, very much. So in manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting. Um, Tony Gerrand uh, wants to know whether Adrian Newey's absence from Red Bull is going to diminish their competitiveness in 2015. What do we think, Mark? No more Newey, or how much Newey is there going to be? That's the thing. Yeah, I think that is the, the thing. I think there's going to be probably more Newey than Newey realizes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's probably going to pull him straight back in. Uh, you know, I mean, the stories I'm hearing of what he's been trying to find out um, from exhaust flows of other cars, and uh, you know, that's not somebody that's thinking I've parked F1 and I'm going to do something else. He is doing something else. There is another project within Red Bull. Um, which is uh, outlined in the season review in the magazine, um, but it's uh, he will be pulled back to F1, I'm sure. And I think um, I think that's what Christian's thinking as well. I think he's played a Christian's played a blinder there in um, putting together a package that stopped him going to Ferrari, um, and that will I think probably just gravity will just pull him back in. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, th I think the important detail as well there is the. The f not some, not just the fact that Adrian will be involved with Red Bull, but the fact that he's not involved with anybody else. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's, that's, point, that's yeah. money well spent in itself. That was what Whitmarsh used to say about Alonso. If you've got him, not only have you got him, you've got you haven't got him against you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Martin always used to go on about you know. Forget the sort of bravura performance for what it is. Go to the end of the season and tot up the points, and then wait for the check from Bernie. And then you see how much the drivers, you know, contributed. Yeah, 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 yeah. But are we, do we think he's going to be very involved in a, in the America's Cup sailing? No, that's not what I'm hearing now. No, okay. Um, let's talk about Williams. I mean, we're all old enough, aren't we, to have been in... Well, we all love Williams. How, how can you not? We've been watching them and talking to, with them and for decades and decades. Um how did they get back from what was just the pits? I mean, really, what, what were the main elements of that, do you think, Mark? Um, a Mercedes engine, first of all. Yeah. Um, so straight away, you've got a big advantage over the, you know, the Ferrari and Red Bull straight away there. Um, but not just that. It'd be unfair to say it's just that. I think it's Pat Simmons has pulled together. Um, and in not not really much staff change. Pretty much the same people that were there when they had the appalling season. It's just pulled them together and got them working better. And I think on the operational side, the recruitment of Rob Smedley has um, helped and make that link between what Pat's doing and uh, what's happening at the track. I think it's just uh, functioning now as a as a proper racing team, and it's it's got a, a rocket ship in the back of it. Yeah. But the car looks good there, doesn't it? I cars, mean, I mean the car's it's good. It's, it's not a Mercedes W05. No, 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 it's, no, 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 You know, thick end of a second away from that, perhaps. But and if there were lots of equivalent horsepower cars, that you'd imagine that second would be filled with other cars. But even so, it's um, it's an awful lot better than what we've seen. Do we think they should have won a race this year? Given I that I think they should probably have won in um, Montreal and possibly to push Austria. Um, I think. Had they been a little more tactically brave in Montreal, Massa would probably could could have won that race. Yeah, 
Is there an element there, though, of when you've been off the pace for as long as they were, you've got to, it's not just the car, you've got to get back into that whole... Absolutely, yes. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I mean, there are people there that have never experienced that yeah. as well, that are, you know, now yeah. making decisions. So, yeah, it, that, that's very true. I think Pat alluded to it during the year, didn't he, of being match fit in terms of being that winning mentality. It's not... It's it doesn't just come easily. You, you, you've got to you, you've got to practice, haven't yeah, you? To get yeah. back you into the frame. Used to it. Mm. Yeah. But you know, you look at their budget. McLaren had the Mercedes engine too, but they sure. didn't get anywhere near Williams. Sure, sure. So no, they're, they're, I mean that's been really gratifying aspect of 2014. I think because mm. I really yeah. I hated to see the Williams sort of been scoring two good five feel-good stories. Then Ricciardo's one and Williams yeah. is the other. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, we like those because there's so much other crap going on, isn't there? So it's, um, okay, um, just to, to just throw this in while we're while we're um, not talking about it, actually, because Marty D, Marty D, wants to know about Halkenberg. Because what Marty's saying is that a lot, some of us around this table, in particular Mr. Roebuck, have been saying how good Halkenberg is for a long time. Um, has he had his day? Has he had his moment? Shouldn't he have stepped up by now if he was going to step up? Possibly. I mean, I, you know, he's, he's, he's not act, actually has quite such a sort of stellar season as um, 2013, I think. I mean, there have been times when he's been... And it, it sort of bothers me that, you know, when Perez has been quicker than him. Because well, exactly. it shouldn't happen. But, um, but, I, but I mean, I, but I'm, I'm fundamentally a... a a believer in Hulkenberg, but he, you know, his time may be passed. In in terms of maybe he had one shot of getting into that Ferrari, or you know, one shot of getting uh, into a, a top team, and and maybe it has gone. He hasn't looked that much better than Perez, really, though, has he? He's been quicker than Perez overall. Um, where Perez has scored has been at those tracks where the uh, tyre wear is marginal. Um, he's very, very good at looking after the tyres, and Nico is very hard on the rear tyres. It's just the way he drives. He's very aggressive with the car. Um, and so you've seen in races, in those type of races, Perez emerges ahead, and sometimes even can do strategies that Hulkenberg just can't do because his tyres are... Uh, but he, he's, he's usually quicker. Um, but I, I think... Um, yeah, I think the opportunity of getting in a top team may have passed by because it's all to do with momentum and perception and had he got you know, the, the, the top drive I'm sure he would have been winning Grand Prix by now but um, yeah it's difficult to see where, where the slot's going to open up yeah. okay um, let's talk about youth <laughs> not many there's not, <laughs> not many young people around this table but anyway <laughs> we can still talk about them because that's another story of the year isn't it Max Verstappen Daniel Kvyat we've already talked about him um, l lots of very young chaps being out there this week in the Abu Dhabi um, what's the what's the feeling about this Mark in the sense that you know could you go and do this at 12, 13? I mean, well, no, I mean, I have to, uh, interestingly, I was watching some children playing the um, Gran Turismo, and there's a, um, they have a Goodwood Festival of Speed hill climb on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of those guys are super, super good at that. Mm. And, you know, is there some correlation here? Yeah, the main well thing. I mean, between Goodwood and the, I'm talking about <laughs> the skill. Yeah, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure there's part of it correlates but there's a big part you know just you, you, you don't get on a 
screen, but um, in terms of what the, 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 I mean, these kids have been racing since they were eight years old, so um, hundreds and hundreds of races behind them, maybe thousands. Uh, it, it's that that we're seeing. It's, it, 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 we're seeing the effect of, of that, those kids coming through. Um, I mean, yeah, Max, very young, but we had 19-year-old Grand Prix drivers with Ricardo Rodriguez, Chris Amon, you know, yeah, back in the yeah, 60s. Yeah. It's yeah. Not w w a teenage <coughs> Grand Prix driver is not a new thing. It's, it's 50 years, yeah, yeah. 50 odd years old, that concept. Um, but yeah, we, we're starting to see more of it now. There's more opportunity thanks to what Red Bull are doing, isn't there, really? Yeah, basically that's true. To, to push more of them on younger. I mean, I used to, f I used to feel um, that there was something wrong when you were washed up at the age of 22, 23 years old and you were, you were, you were thrown out. But actually, having, I've talked to Simon about this and they're, they're given the opportunity so young and you, you find out pretty quickly what they're made of. You know, someone like Alguasari in Boemi, who's you know, now a, a sports car world champion, but, you know, they had opportunities and they didn't, you, you, it's harsh, but they didn't take the opportunity to show that they were going to be a top liner. I mean, between the two of them, when they got flicked from Formula One, they'd done something like 97 Grand Prix with a collective age of 43 or 44. I mean, it is very young, but as you say, it wasn't though they hadn't been given the chance and Red Bull had paid their way through the junior categories as well. So, you know, it was a fantastic opportunity and it's, it's, a hard world, it's a hard world at the top, a very hard world. I guess the, the biggest concern is um, something like the Bianchi tragedy. If you've got a teenage Grand Prix driver and that happens to, to him... Um, it's the it's the fallout of that, the publicity from that, which which then creates a problem. You know, the reality is that was a complete and utter awful fluke that could have happened to anyone. And um, as Mark says, these 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 kids are hugely experienced, more experienced than any other generation of uh, of racing driver because because of what they're doing in karting. Isn't there a sort of unspoken question here, though, in the sense that some people might think hang on this is grand prix racing this is the absolute pinnacle surely a guy of 17 shouldn't be able to come in and do really quick times in a grand prix car is that or is that just terribly old-fashioned thinking i think if you if you're quick you're quick and the the basic core skills will easily be there by enough, the time you're old enough sort of yeah thing. um and i think there's an element that the cars are physically easier to drive now because we've reduced the downforce so much. Um, but for all that, um, people may not like that idea. When we increase the downforce, they don't look as good as they look now, where they're sliding around. So that I mean, you know, the drivers, the, the top drivers, prefer them to have loads of downforce, and they can really sort the men out from the boys. But to the bystander, you, when you when you're watching that, that looks dull. It does. This looks much better. I agree. Completely so, agree. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it. Right. You've got to decide what you want. Yeah. Okay. I think we've answered the questions from Rob Morris and Dave Knowles. Um, so, Rob and Dave, I hope we have. Um, I mean, Dave says, is Kvyat ready for a Red Bull seat? I think we're all agreed he is. Um, and is it. Yeah, I mean, he's still lucky in the sense of finding himself in that car after a year. Sure. Yes. Yeah. From that point of view, he's extraordinarily yeah. fortunate, like like Lewis was. Yeah. You know, I mean, not many people come into Formula to Formula One with a car that can win the world yeah. championship. Yeah. Red Bull's got so such a. Oh, sorry, Nigel. No, I'm, I'm just. I mean, I'm, I I totally agree with Mark. I mean, I think he's. You know, he's he's 
apart from anything, is extremely exciting to watch. I mean, he's, you know, yeah. he's on it. But he's just lucky to be in that position after, you know, after yeah, a single yeah, season. Sure. I was going to say, I mean, Red Bull's got such a, such a roster of young drivers, and it just opportunity. The yeah. two years ago, Antonio Felix da Costa looked like the greatest thing since sliced bread after a fantastic season in GP3, F3, winning Macau and Renault 3.5. But there was no vacancy at Toro Rosso. One year on, when there was a vacancy, it just had a relatively mediocre season, and they promoted Kvyat instead. And now they've got a collection of drivers and a Toro Rosso seat. Science, Gasly, Alex Lynn, they're probably going to put Science in there, but you know, it's just being in the right place at the right time. It's a revolving door, isn't it? Mm. I mean, we've had in the last couple of days, you know, Vern is, is out. Um, what, what do we think about Vern? I, I quite liked him as a race driver because he was aggressive and he was, he was, you know, he seemed to make yeah, things he's, happen. He's, I think he's, he's too good to be kicked out of Formula One, to yeah, me. Absolutely. I don't know, you think so? I no, do, yeah. No, I, I can see why Red Bull have thought, no, he's not a potential world champion because, you know, the that's what they're looking for and if if he's not if they don't think he's a potential world champion then he's taken up a seat so but he definitely deserves his place on the grid he's a very very good racing driver very hard and aggressive um did a beautiful move in sochi one of the few overtaken moves anybody did um but he's out and out qualifying paces over compared to daniel this year and ricciardo the two years before that it's just it's not quite there, is it? So it's had three years of it. Okay, that's fair enough. Let's move on to the return of Honda. Big talking point, obviously. The car did three laps in Abu Dhabi yeah, yesterday. They haven't quite returned yet, have they? Uh, <laughs> well, they are returning, yes. Uh, it was a weird thing the other day, getting a, a press release through my email, and it said McLaren Honda. That, that yeah. sort of sent a little shiver yeah. down, the, down the spine. What do, we, what do we think? Do we think the, the words McLaren Honda are going to send a shiver down the spines at Brackley and uh, Milton Keynes? And I think it'll be pretty good, actually. Um, yeah, we've heard lots of uh, horror stories about how far behind they, they, they are on the engine and stuff like that, but we heard all that. I mean, this time last year, we were hearing that the Mercedes couldn't run for more than three minutes without blowing up its electrics and stuff like that. That's just normal development on these hybrid engines. Um, I think I'd be surprised with it and come at, at, at a pretty good level straight away. Um, as for McLaren, have done two aerodynamically bad cars in a row, um, but there have been big changes there in personnel. Um, so you'd be hopeful that we can see a decent... McLaren chassis as well. I think I, I've got a feeling that they're gonna they're gonna figure somewhere. Next so year. have I, without any knowledge. But I've just mm. got a sneaky feeling. I mm. think uh, Honda are gonna want this very badly, aren't they? And they've got Fernando Alonso. Um, why are McLaren procrastinating? So, so why 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 are they keeping us? waiting so long to let us know who's going to be driving the other car and of course as Brits we're particularly concerned because of Jensen Button what, what's going on there uh, Nigel what do you what do you reckon is going on there I wish I knew I, I you know I, I really wish I, I knew wish I mean, knew I mean well. Fernando's deal was done long ago so that's been set in stone for a yeah. while yeah. Um, and you'd think by now I mean we are we've just come to the end of 19 races this this season, you'd think by now things would be fairly easy to assess one way or another. Monday, I mean, I sort of thought after Abu Dhabi, I thought, well, what more can Magnussen or Jensen do 
you know, to sway the thing in, uh, you know, in their favour. It, it seems to me extraordinary that if it really is the case that after the last race a decision still hadn't been made, uh, I find it amazing. But on the other hand, then you think, well, what the hell else? Could, how, could there be another reason for delaying it? I mean, everybody's known about Alonso for God knows how sure, long. Sure. So, so, why not? I mean, it's December. It's going to be, they've said it's going to be December the 1st at the latest after this meeting they have. I mean, that's not normal behavior from a top team in Formula One, particularly not from McLaren. I think it, um, probably a complicating factor is the fact that Jensen would want to be paid significantly more than Kevin. Um, and they weren't quite sure what sponsorship was coming as a result of Fernando arriving. Um, and there was, there was some that was definitely arriving, and there was some that might be arriving, and it could be that. It could be that they were thinking, well, if we get those, we can pay Jensen what he wants. Um, but if we don't, we might have to say sorry. It's going to be money, sex, or politics, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be well, on, the, yeah. on the sponsorship side, I mean, it's been the story of the year, isn't it, that you know, Ron Dennis version 2.0 comes in and tells us um, in his, his usual charming way that by the third race of the year we'd know who their title sponsor was and it would all be sorted and the third race went and disappeared and we got to the end of the season and <laughs> after it yeah, yeah and, and sap mclaren was um you know um still without a title sponsor so it's probably also worth pointing out that did jensen score 70 75 points more than Kevin Magnussen this year. But I mean, that could be worth a couple of places in the Constructors' Championship at the end of a season, and that's yeah, yeah. tens of millions of dollars. I mean, so yeah. it, it kind of, you, you, you claw that back, so it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, well, uh, what's, let's what's the relationship with Ron and Jensen? It's not as good as it used to be. No, <laughs> but it was never very good, was it? Ron's never really... I, I, I don't think Ron's ever really bought into Jensen fully. I don't think he's ever believed in him fully, but... Um, Jensen was very enthusiastic about Ron's return at the start of the year. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's a soured it a bit since then. I mean, I guess maybe it's because of the form of the team, but Ron's return, he's been a fairly muted character compared to the Ron that we used to know. It does feel different this time around, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a slightly different role, isn't it? It's, it's, it's more of a, um, an overview in trying to bring the, the backers in. But, yeah, I'd agree. Um, but uh, maybe it'll be more, uh, more, obvious, more obviously there when, when they're successful. Conversely, you know, you sort of you think, well, Eric Boulier is going to earn his money, isn't he? Don't you think? Yeah. Well, here's Ron Dennis and here's Fernando Alonso. Yeah, absolutely. And they're in the middle. Yeah. Is he? They are two extreme. Per you probably couldn't think of two more extreme personalities than, no. than Ron and Fernando. No, no. And it's going to be fascinating watching that play out again, you know, round two of yeah. 2007. And, and it seems to me there must have been something, it took long enough, God knows, to get straight. You'd think something must have been done along the way to sort of ensure that they are as much as possible kept apart. Kept apart. <laughs> 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 I mean, that, that is, you, you think back to the end of 2007, none of us would ever have predicted this, would we? No. No, no way. Absolutely not. No. Be fun Funnily enough, a year or so ago, I thought he was going to do that. Because a year or so ago, I mean, I think Martin went four times to Spain to talk to him, Alonso. And at that time, I don't know about you, but at that, that time, I thought, yeah, I can, I, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, I think he'll do it. 
But once the as soon as Ronald Ronald came back, staged thought, his no palace coup, I just yeah. thought, well, that's the end of that. That's, that. that's not going to happen, but yeah. It's a pragmatic thing, though, surely, because, you know, they've got Honda, they're going to have a new car, they've got uh, Peter Padromo. They need a really top driver. I mean, the past is the past, I guess, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, they need each other. It's true, they need each other, and it, that's, yeah. that's why they've ended up back together. They wouldn't have chosen to be back together if they didn't no, need each other. Sure. Okay. Um, Kevin Joyce wants to know, and this has to be a quick one, if, if we were Ron Dennis, whoa, <laughs> uh, who would we get to drive alongside Alonso? Mark, your choice. Uh, Jensen, I think he'd be hugely motivated. Um, and when you can give him the car he likes, he can still drive fantastically well. Yeah, I'd say Jensen. Um, he knows how to handle um, teammates and... You know, he would shrug off the the, the sort of um, the threat of Alonso. And Jensen's clever in teams as well. He knows how to hold his own. Um, he's no pushover. And we we you know we saw at at BAR and Honda that he knew how to hustle a team and uh, work it work them around him. And um, you know, Alonso wouldn't have it all his own way. We also saw that saw that when he moved to McLaren in the first place, and it soon. Stop looking like Lewis Hamilton's team and started oh looking like yeah. Jensen Button's team Straight very quickly. Yeah, 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 very quick. He got everyone on side. But I mean, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer for reasons I said before about the likelihood of a whole load more points, particularly for a team that hasn't got a title sponsor, and the financial rewards at the end of the year. I think Jensen's a no-brainer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's interesting. I mean, all the suggestions are that it, that Alonso wants Jensen in the other car. And of course, immediately people say, "Oh, well, he doesn't want Magnussen there because he's, you know, he's look at he's very quick, isn't he? He's young, or else he's frightened." Of, I don't think that's that at all. I think, I think, I mean, Alonso reputedly has signed a three-year deal, and he's said it probably isn't going to happen the first year, but it's, I'm looking on this as a long-term project. Jensen is going to progress a new car and engine. I would have thought much quicker than um, than Kevin. What, Unanimous. What do we think of Kevin after the first year? I mean, he started with a third on the road, second after the disqualification of Ricardo. Um, yeah, he looked uh, he looked exceptional at the start of the year, but just didn't maintain that momentum really um, for whatever reason. Um, definitely deserves his place in F1, but no evidence yet that he's anything startling. But you know, people develop in different ways. But uh, yeah, that's what we've seen so far. Looks good. Okay. How about um, around the table some highlights and sadly some low points of this fantastic season we've just all enjoyed? I mean, obviously, the the horrible accident for Jules Bianchi is surely the lowest of the low points. Um, but again, looking forward as opposed to back, um, Mark, what will we see next year done to try and prevent that ever, ever happening again? Well, if I've already outlined what they're trying to do, and it's to have a um, sort of virtual safety car, so that the, um, the the gaps between the cars and the speeds are automatically yeah. controlled, um, and in that case, th th I think the essential thing is that you take the decision about how much to slow down and reel out of the driver's hands, mm. and that's 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 yeah. manifestly a good thing, idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, how Actually, they go about it. I, we're not quite sure yet because there were a few technical problems when they tried that at the end of the practices in the last few races. But um, however they do it, I think that's the the important thing. 
Um, Jim Vitsas wants to ask just just briefly. I mean, is this going to hurt? He he wonders the, the the purity of Formula One, to have you know total control over a full course slowdown. I don't I don't think so really. It, it's um, the the how much uh, a driver lifts off during a yellow flag period. It's not really. There's no big thrill in that that we're seeing. You no. know, the, it's not adding to anything. To no. Look at variances and how who's lift off, lifted off how much, yeah. um, and it, it just prevents. A, it, it certainly takes that aspect out of that whole confluence of um, circumstances that led to that accident. Problem is, you know, I mean, Grand Prix drivers being the way they are, they're always going to any any yellow. They're always going to as get through as it as quickly as they can get yeah. away. I mean, geez, I, you know, I can remember William Roger Williamson's accident at Zandvoort all those years ago, and you know, I remember, uh, you know, it was just a, it wasn't quite in my sight, but I could see the the fire and everything yeah, else. Yeah. But the but the, the the leaders were going through there; they were barely lifting off. Yeah, not good. Even you know, even in a situation like that, so. Okay. They can't help themselves. I'm afraid that's just—it's just you know—it's in the DNA, isn't it? It's bound sure. to be. Sure. You shouldn't let the drivers decide how much they have to lift off under yellow, and you shouldn't let the teams decide how the the rules are. I think that's the two lessons from this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, does Formula One, does Grand Prix racing—I still like to call it—call me old-fashioned—and does it still get the hairs on the back of our necks? Standing up these days. Let's have a quick round the table. Does it for you? I it guess it does for me when the cars are on track. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, this year's cars for me are better than for many years. Mm. And it, 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 watching them in action and watching them move on, a, you know, places that they, they were glued yeah. to previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, it's fantastic, and there's some fantastic drivers out there. It's a very, very good crop of drivers. So yeah, yeah. No, when when the cars are running and all the other crap stops, absolutely yeah. That's absolutely right. Damon? When all the other crap stops on the track, it's fantastic. In the paddock, it's god awful. I think we all get nostalgic about different eras and the ones that we, you know, were drawn to the sport in the first place. But for me, it's still, it's still there's more, still more pros than, than cons about the actual stuff on the track. It's still Grand Prix racing for me. I know that a lot of our readers this year, we've had an interesting year at motorsport actually. That yeah. for the first time that I can remember, um, we've been out of step with our readers a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of cynicism and a lot of unhappiness yeah. uh, expressed, yeah. uh, and yet we've been writing consistently, Mark and Nigel at the track, that that it's. Um, it's a great spectacle, and you know, the whole noise thing has been a, a constant bugbear that we, I think, collectively haven't really found much of a problem. Um, so, it's it's just everything about the sport at the moment is coming to to a head, isn't it? And, and this is all part of it. It's a really odd, odd time. I think we look back on as an odd time in years to come. Well, it's a it's an odd time in the world as well. So it's an odd time in the Formula One paddock as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what the guys are saying. I think it's still a fabulous, fabulous spectacle. And I'm fairly sure that in twenty or thirty years' time, when we look back, and you look at the calibre of the drivers we've got at the moment, or if we've had in recent years, mm. um, yeah, you know, yeah, Hamilton, Alonso, Vettel, yeah. etc., Raikkonen, etc. Um, I think we'll look on back back on this as a pretty good time for for motor racing. I mean, comparable with. Prost, Piquet, Mansell, Senna, or whatever, yeah, just definitely. in terms of the standard 
at the front of the grid. Yeah, I agree with that because I think we had a we did have a period between those two times when the, when there was. Yeah, it was Michael and Mika. Exactly. That was it, wasn't it? Exactly. And, and yeah. DC would have an occasional good day, but generally it's Michael and Mika and now it else. Okay. Um, we'll end on a question from Vinayak Pandey. I hope I've pronounced that right, Vinayak. Um, next season, is Merck going to run away with it again, or is it going to be a lot more competitive? We've got Honda coming in with McLaren. Presumably, Renault will have more power. Presumably, Ferrari will have. A better car. Um, what are your thoughts, Mark? In terms of the engines, we're hearing Renault might have 70 horsepower more than it had this year, which would put it on par with this year's Mercedes. Um, but we're hearing that Mercedes has got 60 horsepower more again. So in engine parity, no, I don't see that. Um, I can see if Honda's done a really good job, uh, I can see them arriving at the level that Mercedes was at this year, so again, a year behind. Um, so I think, therefore, you'd have to be looking at the Mercedes-powered teams to see if they can aerodynamically do what uh, Mercedes did with the W05 and uh, assuming that the works team hasn't made another step again. Um, so you're looking at... Um, you're looking at Williams, um, but you're then looking at much smaller teams. You're looking at Lotus and Force India. So um, I would say Williams is the hope, the, the, the big hope uh, for, for giving Mercedes some competition. Um, Red Bull will do an exceptional car again, as they always do, but I fear they may be behind on engine power just as much as they are this year. Uh, and as for Ferrari, similar story, really. I'm sure they'll be a lot better, but Merck better again. Okay. Damon, what's your... I think on the, on the basis of what we, s what we know at the moment, what we've seen, you know, um, if I was a betting man, I guess I'd probably put money on Lewis again um, just because, he, you know, he's, he's got the car, he's got the team. Um, he's beaten Rosberg fair and square. As much as I respect and, and, and admire Rosberg for what he's actually, the, the, the good points of his season... He, he has beaten him well yeah. and truly, I think, over the course of the year. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about this year with the Williams thing was, you know, they, they confirmed their drivers quite early. And it, it surprised me that Alonso and Williams wasn't a, a proposition, you know? Yeah, but you remember when, when, uh, when Pat was in here um, earlier this year doing a podcast, um, and I think probably wasn't during the broadcast, but afterwards, I, you know, I was talking to him about that. And, and Pat said at the time, we're not ready for Fernando in 2015. We're just not. That was halfway through the year, though. Yeah, I know it was. Yeah. 2016, ah, you know, that might be different. And it, and it was, when I said the same to um, Rob in um, Austin, he said, no, you know, more or less, I'll have him tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think it probably, you know, what, that was what Lauda said in Canada, you know, thank God Alonso's not in a, in a Williams. Yeah. Because you'd, you'd reckon he'd have won those two races. Yeah. yeah. Montreal and Austria. Mm, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, thank you very much, guys. <coughs> Simon? No, just um, you asked earlier about highlights and then moved on to something else, and we didn't actually get that far. Um, one of the things, um, I mean, obviously, you, you touched on the Bianchi accident, which you know, touched everybody in the sport. And I think it's also worth saying that although people didn't notice Marussia and Caterham, particularly in results, in the result sheets, um, the human element of both teams will be missed if they don't reappear. I remember Mark and I talking a couple of years ago about if you could 
create an ideal F1 team? What would you go for? And we agreed that the guys at Marussia are just top-notch racing people, down to earth, no corporate bullshit, nothing. Yeah, they they they, you know, they will be missed in the paddock if they don't reappear because they're a really really good bunch of blokes. Even if the results might not have reflected as much. And the the last thing I'd like to say is I don't know if anyone heard two days after Abu Dhabi, Radio Five Live's breakfast program, and um, they had Harley Horton, a nine-year-old who just won the Manchester Buxton Cadet Karting Championship in with his dad. Obvious parallel between the young young Lewis and Anthony Hamilton. And they chatted to him for a couple of minutes and said, would you like to meet Lewis Hamilton? I said, oh, yes, I'd love to do that one day. And I said, oh, well, you can. And in walked Lewis. And there's a video of it on YouTube, which I encourage anyone to, to if you just Google Lewis Hamilton startles young Carter or something. But without any corporate baggage um, or any of the you know, PRs ushering him around, it's just natural Lewis on his own, undiluted, in his element, chatting to a young lad about karting. And he was brilliant. He engaged with him completely. It was just lovely with him. And I just... I thought that is what Lewis Hamilton is really like. It's not the bloke you see being run around a TV pen doing 27 interviews, that being answering the same questions no, just after he's driven one hour, 40 minutes flat sure. out. And, and it was just a lovely, lovely thing to see. A lovely way to end the year, I thought. Good. Well, at the end I thought, of this I thought podcast, when you were going to say he's nine years old, I thought you were going to say he's having a Toro Rosso test next week. No, no, week. no. He's actually in the car, I think. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, that's a good note to end on. Thank you very much, all of you, to Mark Hughes, to Damien Smith, Simon Aaron and Nigel Roback. And thanks, of course, to Ed Foster, who puts it all together for us. Well done, Ed. Thank you. We'll be back and uh, we'll be talking to David Brabham. And of course, the name Brabham is very much in the news at the moment. All sorts of exciting plans there, some of which uh, we hope will come to fruition. And of course, uh, Sir Jack passed away this year, so we're, we're much looking forward to speaking to David Brabham. So join us next time. Thank you very much to Alan, who's uh, done the sound for us today, and we'll see you next time. Good. Bye bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 